0: Shauna and Leah's mom suffered from the fatal effects of metastatic breast cancer. Sadly, due to the pandemic, neither were able to be with her physically while she lay in a hospital for both surgery and treatment. Now, nearly a year and a half later, their small close-knit family continues to navigate their loss along with the challenges of the pandemic. As with other families, the pandemic has led to a cascade of secondary losses and the loss of in-person connection. This is my first time interviewing sisters on the podcast and their episode will release on January 18th, two days before the two-year anniversary of my sister's death. Even though they are no longer physically present, our people are always with us, showing up when we need them. Thanks, Amy. And now, Shauna and Leah's story. Hi, this is Beth and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. So this is actually the second one, the first one where I'm actually interviewing Daughters Without Moms in 2022. I had done a lot of my recording before the holidays. um, So this is my first time back in the saddle with, I have two Daughters Without Moms with me today. These are sisters. Um, Shauna and Leah sent me an email uh, to Daughters Without Moms and gave me a lot of information about their story and said that they would just like to continue to shine their mom's light with us. So I am going to pass it over to them, their sisters. So their conversation, they'll be going back and forth. I I love this perspective because with my own sister, I actually didn't ask you guys how far apart in age you are, but we were three years apart and it was amazing (laughs) know we were teenagers at the time but our perspectives were so different we'd be like no i remember blah 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 blah. she'd be like no way it was this so Um, i'm super excited to have you both here to hear your story um and to hear your perspectives and then we're also going to do a little talk uh you're gonna part of your story is talking about loss during a pandemic which has been a whole nother animal in itself so I am gonna turn the mic over to Shauna and Leah and they're gonna tell us their story and then we will finish with some conversation at the end. So thank you both for being here.
1: Thank you. Hi, this is Shauna, the elder sister by only two years. And as an older sister, I'm gonna do the kind thing and I'm gonna pass it on to the younger sister to begin. Off you go. Thank you.
2: Um, I'm Leah. And yes, I am the youngest. I was, I'm my mom's youngest daughter. Um, uh, Our mom, Sharon, um, raised us in Chicago. And for most of our lives, uh, it was just the three of us. We were born in California and then our parents separated and eventually divorced and we grew up in Chicago. Um, We could probably tell hundreds of stories. But I thought I would start just by saying um, that mom was our ray of sunshine. She was our moon and our stars. So for each of us throughout our lives, she was our best friend. Um, And as we got older, um, we didn't know that we were not gonna reside together in Chicago forever but life circumstances separated us. And I eventually ended up in Minneapolis where I live now. And my sister ended up in Norway um, with her family. But even though we had all of this, all these miles between us, our bond couldn't be broken. Um, I think I can say uh, for both of us, mom was our first phone call in the morning for my sister with the time change. It was probably after work for her. Uh, She was the first person we talked to and um, she was uh, the last person I talked to in the evening. So there was the the afternoon check-in as well, by the way. Um, And (laughs) just just to share a story, uh, something we'd heard on the radio, something a friend was telling us. Uh, a film we wanted to see, uh, a play we knew we wanted to go to together, uh, the newest exhibit, maybe at the Art Institute. Um, when was the next vacation? Uh, down to what are you getting at the grocery store? What might you make for dinner? Um, so that kind of tells you um, that she, she was just always present, the everyday, the smallest moments. Um, she was the phone call um we were very fortunate to see mom all the time so even though we stopped living in the same place i left uh years after my sister did i was in chicago a lot longer um we just always saw each other we just made shauna made trips just herself or her family um my kids there's a huge age gap between my kids and Shauna's kids. Um, And so we just, she was our center. Um, Shauna, would you like to add to that?
1: Yeah, I think also, I think for those like listening here about the wonderful bond between daughters and moms, I think everybody just has, if they are lucky to have such a wonderful relationship, there are certain things that are just so central about their mom. Um, and obviously other family members that are so essential kind of to your own identity development. And I think um, in our case, uh, Sharon is is her name. And she was someone who was born in the 1940s and really came of age in the 1960s. And she's somebody who was just fiercely independent and um, very open to change and, She faced a lot of obstacles in life. She was adopted as an infant and she had a rather um, difficult time, I think, with her adopted family and really didn't find herself until she grew, you know, kind of came of age and met our dad and had some good years. Um, But it was, she had a lot of perseverance. She put herself, um, you know, through school actually. indeed after uh, she was first diagnosed with cancer in 1992. So part of our story is sort of our mother's perseverance um, and also just like tackling these challenges with like grace and a sense of humor. And it was just a lot of fun. So as Leah talked about this idea that she was our best friend, she also had this uncanny ability to connect with every person in our family and actually just people in her life um, whether or not they were, were related. She, when she was younger, she definitely tapped into a lot of creativity and she was um, a small business owner. She did whatever she could really to, you know, carry us through a life that was a bit difficult at times um, because we didn't really have a lot of other family support. So for us, we were always this little unit. And when we both met these wonderful life partners and had kids of her own like our little family grew. She eventually became a therapist and um, you know what more can you say that when you have a breast cancer diagnosis in 1992 uh, you nearly lose your life. We were actually very young in our 20s and then, you know, it didn't come to any surprise to us that in 1993, while I was actually pursuing a master's degree, Leah had just finished her BA, mom announces, well, I'm going back to school, I'm going to get my mm-hmm. master's in psychology, if that's what we're doing. And she, you know, blew through that degree, and graduated with honors, and then really paid her dues and working actually in very challenging circumstances in neighborhoods in Chicago. With individuals that normally you uh, you know you just need extraordinary skills to really meet their needs, and mom was that person. You know, at her age, recovering from cancer, she put herself through school, would assume these jobs, and would travel hours to help individuals. And she would mm-hmm. still kind of make time to kind of see the brighter side of life. So, you know, we kind of we knew growing up that she was special to us, but we also kind of through the years, also know how much light she brought to other people. And that's really not an exaggeration. That is, it's something that I think about that. I think, well, what would I have done? Would I, I'm her same age now. Would I have been able to do that? Do I have the tenacity to do that? I'm not so sure actually. I I really, not to put her on a pedestal, but I think that she, really is an extraordinary person, Leah, definitely, you know, we're on that same page with that. And so unfortunately, mom, um, you know, she remained cancer free for 18 years, as we were discussing yesterday. And unfortunately, in 2017, she was given a new diagnosis having after having a few scares in around 2010 or so. But she got a new diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer in 2017, which is a far more serious illness. And as, as Leah talked about, you know, we, we weren't living in the same city. And given this diagnosis, that changed a lot of things for us. Mom was never going to stop working as a therapist, though, even though, she, you know, age is a number in her mind. She continued to work. She had her own practice and she really served people who, who needed her, and she wasn't going to let cancer stop her. However, th- this was becoming very challenging, and so she's, she really um, began to undergo some treatments that were very challenging with serious side effects, and Leah and I became more and more involved again in a, in a role that we hadn't really revisited since our 20s in the sense that we you know, were there for her after she was treated for breast cancer. Initially, she had definitely kind of taken, you know, she's a very, who's a very independent person, but that was a real turn for us. And then obviously, you know, 2020 is a game changer. And I think the, another thing to know is that, um, you know, she continued to live, really. Don't you agree, Leah? No matter what was going on, Leah give, being stateside was often there when she kind of needed us more than she ever needed us before. And I would do my best. And in 2019, we did have a, a very rare opportunity where we had kind of a family reunion or, or during the Christmas holidays, including our partners and all the kids. And that was highly unusual. And what's significant about that is actually that's the last time I ever saw mom in person. So January second, twenty twenty, and what we didn't know what what lay ahead of us. I don't, the world didn't know that. I do remember though, heading to the airport and seeing the headline in the news: "There's a strange virus in Wuhan, China," and not really thinking too much about it. And mom was actually in a good place at that time. So it was, it was really it's a very I think for people listening to this I think. Even though maybe your mother or any other loved one may have been suffering from a chronic disease or something that uh, was very challenging in nature, we were not prepared for the challenges to, that we faced following that or the or absolutely the mountain that she had to climb really on her own, given the lockdown worldwide that came in March 2020. So Leah, maybe you can talk some more, unfortunately about this. Maybe about how this kind of quickly turns south and then, you know, somehow we're in the summer of 2020 and what, what we do about it. Sure.
2: So I'll just back up a little bit to her birthday, which was val- is Valentine's Day. Um, and she is visiting uh, me, us in Minneapolis. And um, we're, you know, we're definitely very aware of what's happening. And uh, my husband, Daniel, we sit down and we say, stay, don't go back. My husband said, said, I'll drive, I'll go get the kitties. She had two kitties, bring them here. We'll get situated here. You just stay, I'll, you know, we need to be together. We need to be safe. And um, mom wanted to go back. She, um, she needed to go back because her life was there her beautiful condo, her her uh, support group. She had a wonderful uh, group of women and a cancer support group. And I think that was very important But the um, to her. But she talked about her team. She needed her doctors. And if we could just go back a minute to 2017 when she got diagnosis, which my sister and I talked about being the beginning of the end, um, we had to uh, bring her to Seattle to recuperate after a terrible time in the hospital, um, after radiation and chemo. And um, I kind of researched a new team for her in Seattle with the thought that maybe she could could be there. Um, It was always, let's be close, let's be by family, but mom's work really was. I would say that Shauna and I were her first loves and and work was her second love. And she was, she was incredible at it. She was an, an incredible therapist. And, um, if we then jump ahead, she wants to go back. So she does, she takes, she flies back to Chicago and shortly thereafter, we're all in lockdown. Um, when she was visiting, uh, in the place I was staying in that rental there, there were, was a, a very steep stairwell. And I noticed that she was having trouble with her leg. And, um, we, we discussed, you know, I took her to the side and I said, you know, have you, um, have you had that looked at? Oh, she said, I think I'm going to need a hip replacement. You know i think something's going on with my hip and i remember saying um because the cancer had been in her pelvis you know have you had that a scan you know go back get a scan and i have my my last videotape of her is that visit in february and it's it's quite a long video actually i watch it sometimes because um i'm asking her what do you what's your wish for your birthday what do you want and just like mom she talks about living today oh I really need to um see this film let's go see this movie and um by the way I need to get some makeup you know because because actually Shauna's daughter turned her on to a place so it's like in this video I'm saying well, mom, in 50 years from now, you know, if anyone can still hear this, I have to tell them what Sephora is, you know, you want to go to Sephora and stock up on some makeup. Okay. So she goes on and on. And in the end, I finally get, you know, there's like a pause and a quiet. And she says, I just want to spend more time with my family. And then off she goes uh, back to Chicago. And okay, so the lockdown happens. And um, by that time, um, we are FaceTiming. I think we're FaceTiming all the time, Shauna. I think you even started a book club. I mean, we were, we were constantly in touch with mom, but I noticed, this is how things kind of just jumped forward with her medical. I noticed on FaceTime, that she had a port. I don't know. I guess I will ask you, Shauna, did you know, did she tell you ahead of time that they were putting the port in? Because she didn't tell me. So
1: No, I think, I think, you know, just to kind of give some context to the listeners, I think what we're trying to describe is that yeah. anyone who's had a you know, their mom or any other significant other who's facing a chronic illness, and then it suddenly does take a turn for the worse when they are used to living like a really independent life and they don't really wanna be a burden on their children. And in this case, that was definitely something mom was aware of. And given the pandemic at the moment, I think she was often in the role of not only just trying to kind of carry on with the day to day, which gave her a lot of like satisfaction. I think she was also like in that mom role, still trying to protect us, kind of looking forward to the future, not wanting to dwell on, on, oh, you know, that everything is gonna go south now. And her health was taking a turn for the worse. She did have a port meaning that she was getting an infusion of chemotherapy now directly into her system where the past few years she was able to kind of maintain on a, on a tablet form. And that, that's a lot of detail probably about this illness. I think the upshot is really she's in a spiral and for the first time ever, for a variety of reasons, we're not there to help her so you know she's someone she never remarried again Um, when it did come to her health we we were there to support her we're her closest family she doesn't have siblings she's really not connected to any other kind of relatives um, in a way and so we're we were kind of it and so it wasn't until late may leah that we even understand the severity of the spread of cancer, which is now in her bones. Metastatic bull often starts off as breast cancer and then it manifests in the bones and eventually it goes to the brain. And it's, you know, it's a very serious diagnosis. And we found out well into the lockdown at a time where all flights have been stopped. You know, we are literally... Uh, marooned in separate parts of the world, unable for the first time ever to actually kind of accompany her. Not that she couldn't handle this on her own, but at this point, not only is she probably the sickest she's ever been in some way, even though she's, you know, very, um, aware and communicative and she appears normal, but her body is really failing at this point. And she's facing this all on her own. And the medical system at this point um, is not able to address her needs in a way where she's being seen as a patient that is actually losing a grip on life as we know it. Absolutely facing this on her own uh, with no one to support her. People are are not allowed to accompany to visits. Leah only lives six hours away. It was not permitted for people to come and discuss. And so it became a, a system by which we would have phone calls. Well, to navigate a system, the medical world, by phone call is just not. Possible. And so I think, you know, Leah, you might want to talk briefly about. Unfortunately, now we're heading down. We've kind of described a spiral to you, but then, and we're not alone. You know, the world is facing tremendous loss at this time. And we are in a situation in which we're trying to navigate our mother's well being in a way where we don't have a person in the world to help us even though in the years prior we were able to kind of utilize the healthcare system and you know mom survived cancer the first time she survived a couple of bouts in the 2010-11 years and so the outcome was good this is a different world metastatic is a different illness and it's very challenging even at the best of times so I mean, maybe Leah, we can kind of describe now we're really in June and July, really July. She's we're mm. asking her to have us two operations back to back, one on her femur and one on her hip. And we think under the best of circumstances, how you know, we didn't understand how this was possible. But so you know. yeah, so um.
2: We're on the phone, like Shauna said, trying to navigate this. Uh, uh, what we see as, you know, an imminent, like a car crash, right? Like Shauna and I both know. What are you trying to say to the doctors? You want to do two surgeries on her? So, you know, I often say it was like Shirley McLean in terms of endearment as if you ever saw that movie, she is banging on the desk, right? Saying, no, 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 now, help her now, right? Well, that was us, but we were doing it through the phone. Like, no, 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 you cannot do this to her. Um, She has nowhere to go. What do you, you know, they wanted to, just to make, just to kind of, they were going to do the femur first. And then two weeks later, the hip replacement so uh mom was not going to be able to walk there were but the but the details involved with the medical world um they were far more in depth than that because she had nowhere to go all the rehab uh centers were filled with covid and they wouldn't let her in um so they came up with um their solution of putting her in the hospital and she never had COVID, but they isolated her. And they kept her in the hospital, in a room, just alone. And I was told, don't come, you won't, you won't be let in anyway. You can't come into the hospital and, and be with her. So mom had never navigated cancer without Shauna and I, without her girls. Um, the first time we're 20 and 22 and we are sitting by her bedside at the same hospital. This is the same hospital all these years later. And so we try, Sean and I try to stop it. We actually, the family, our, our husbands, we, we came up with a solution to send her to Minnesota send her in a van, like a medical van, bring her here. So she would have me. Um, By that time, it was too late to move her um, because of all the medicine needed. Um, So, yeah, I guess the timeline is, she's isolated in the hospital. They do the femur, and I don't recall Shauna. One thing that happened, uh, in, well, okay, let me back up after the first surgery, um, the surgeon I'm on the phone because I get the phone call first, how is she? And the surgeon admitted that the hospital system, uh, was fractured before the pandemic and now it's broken he said, we're dealing with a broken system. And he said, I know that your mom can't go home because there's no one to take care of her. So you've done maybe he said that after the hip, the hip replacement. Um, But basically, now mom would have to get around in a wheelchair, would have to learn how to walk again on a walker, but with no assistance. Um, So Sean and I are trying to navigate that world. Mom, Um, wanting to get caregivers, I guess, in her home. Um, But, you know, if we back up a little, I know I I feel like I'm a little bit more scattered here than I want to be. You know, one thing that happened that uh, I won't ever forget is I was on the phone with mom and she's in the hospital. And I think it's after her hip replacement. And now mom really, she really is... Having a, 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 I don't even think there's a word for it. Difficult's not. The, that's not strong enough of a word. What was happening to her? Um, physically, she's just crumbling, right? And now she can't really walk, and she's isolated in the hospital. And they move the, they move her, they move her off of the, um, where she belongs for cancer, and they move her. I can't remember, Shana. You have to help me because they move her. Uh, they move her room, and I'm on the phone with her. And the hospitalist comes in, and you know, starts talking to her about her fall, and starts. They have a whole conversation. My mom didn't realize I was still on the phone, but this is how we know it's so bad. They moved her room, and they didn't give her the correct um, facilities to handle. The fact that she needed the extra care like in the restroom and she took a fall she took a fall and nobody bothered to call me nobody bothered to to tell shauna or i that she fell in the hospital and it made it worse so that was the kind of communication we were getting um and uh so now she goes to a rehab and reluctantly, the doctors don't want to send her there, but she has to learn how to walk again. And that's the place you go. You usually go to a rehab, you know, to after a hip or knee replacement. And, um, and then they isolate her because of COVID, even though she doesn't have it, they put her in a room, they quarantine her away and they don't work with her. They don't try to get her to walk again. So, mom being of sound mind by the way she um gets herself out she, she says i'm out of here but there was no plan there was no care plan no people to help so Sean and i are scrambling to get the the professionals into her home where now she would have to rehabilitate to be able to walk again. Um, And we do get professional caregivers and for anyone who's listening um, at a great cost, they if they out of pocket. um, It is really something I think for in in the United States for families to, to understand um, the caregiver situation and it turns out that mom didn't want the strangers and mom again she she kind of lets them go but again Sean and i don't have anyone else well it turns out mom wants familiar people to help her because mom is super strong even though her body is um crumbling and so um she wants familiar so I call in two familiar people to her through our life. And, um, and that's really the, that's really, uh, I think where Shauna and I, we have trouble with that because the people that were supposed to be there were Sean and I, we were supposed to be there and, um, You know, I, my mom called and she said, I need you, Leah, you need to come home,
1: come home, Leah. She said, come home. Um, You know, we're, we're now at a stage where mom has been operated on twice. And unfortunately, the coordination between the oncologist, the surgeon, and even, you know, we would have expected the primary care physician we'd worked with for years It was just missing in COVID. And Leah um, was faced with making a lot of decisions that were tough. She was in Minneapolis with her two younger children. There were no flights from Europe to America. I wasn't even allowed to step on a flight. And so, you know, she was available at some points. And we tried to kind of marshal people who were willing to put themselves out there. There were no vaccines. Um, at this point, we're back in this little cozy apartment, this little condo she's so proud of. Her hard-earned money had gone into this. She's back there. But I think there, this there's kind of a cognitive dissonance at this point. We can see like mom has one, one foot where, where she's not living really you know on this planet she's leaving us and we can see that really and i think it's very clear to us that this this you know this this journey that we're trying to help navigate this wellness journey that certainly has turned out you know in the years prior where she was able to beat back cancer you know through you know tenacity good luck people who have chronic illnesses i mean It's just some people win and some, you know, honestly, like what is it that makes people prevail? And at this point, there's a situation we're now in July, 2020, and we are reliant on a system that is very costly. It's impersonal because we're not there. And frankly, she, we're pretty convinced at this point, there's nothing that can be done to alleviate mom's like real suffering at this point. And this, you know, you're talking about now a little family, you know, that always relied on each other, enjoyed each other's company. We were, you know, so bonded and to be faced with something that actually is just kind of incomprehensible, really. It's not, and it's just, it's something that you, you would never imagine. Like, well, why wouldn't you be there for your loved one? It just, it doesn't make any sense. And so unfortunately, This deterioration just it it absolutely accelerated. So it was like somebody had dropped a brick on the gas pedal, and you know, we were given some names um, to contact mom. You know, given the person she is, I think she was not kind of ready to to face like maybe this is all we can do. I might be leaving you now. And so there was also that piece going on. And imagine doing this all like separated. It's just, it's not, no, it's just not normal. And this again, you know, you have countless people worldwide that were facing decisions like this around all sorts of end of life decisions. And for our little family, um, you know, she really suffered given the the convoluted nature of this we weren't able to help her the healthcare system wasn't able to help her in the end you know hospice was called in because okay. she, well, she was really unable to to manage really and so that well, can i can really i back up just a can i back up just a minute uh, am i back or am i still frozen no, you're back. I mean, I kind of brought everybody up to that we're really getting close to the end, and there's really just nothing. Okay. So, well, so if we back up just a bit, I do get in the car, and I do
2: drive. No, I fly. What am I talking about? I drove back. Um, so I fly. I fly to her. Uh, no, you know, there's no vaccinations. I just go. I I take. I run. I run for it. Right, and um, I get there and. Uh, I can see, um, you know, everything is just chaos. Uh, the, the orthopedic surgeon had a nurse, a nurse come in um, trying to, you know, just look over her medicines, but they're dealing with the hospital medicines. No one, no one redid her medication. So I, I come in and I'm looking over everything just the way Shauna and I used to. And the missing piece is that mom was never offered palliative care. So that entire time she was in the hospital, they never gave her palliative care. They 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 sent her home. They sent her to the rehab with the same hospital medication. And from rehab, she went home with the same medication, but her body could no longer handle that kind of medication. She needed something different. She needed palliative care and um, I remember making the phone call or Shauna making the phone call on palliative care. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, that's like months out. We can put you on a wait list. And I, and okay. So I am there with her and um, I take her to um, the oncologist. And I am just going to say what it was like to get mom out of her condo where she had. Um, two flights of stairs that kept her in extremely great condition, by the way. She was really fit. Um, But in order to get her out of her condo, the fire department had to be called because she could no longer walk, which is the whole reason she shouldn't have been sent home until she could walk. So the fire department puts her in the car and they knew her by name. Hi, Sharon, how are you today? Mm -hmm. I just love your mom. We're the same crew, we come every time for her. Every time she had to go to a doctor, every time she had to go to the oncologist, for everything after after getting out of the hospital, she had to go down the stairs in a chair being carried by two huge uh, firemen. And she gets in the car, I take her to the oncologist. I go inside and Um, In the past, Sean and I would go into the oncologist's office and actually sit and understand her care. Uh, This time, um, they stopped me at the desk and they said, not only can you not um, wait for her inside, you actually need to go into the parking lot. You're not allowed in because of the pandemic. Mask whatever it was, you know, we're all masked. You can't can't accompany her. We're going to run a lot of tests on your mom. And so I'm in the parking lot for four hours. And at that time, Shauna and I are constantly on the phone. Um, I even try to fight my way back in, meaning like just verbally, of course, like I need to see her. Can you show me where mom is? I need, I, need, I need to connect, um, you know, what is going on? Can, I, can the doctor meet me outside? Can we just talk in the parking lot? Can the doctor call me? I'm right here. You know, can you tell us what is going on? Nothing, nothing, silence. You need to leave again. You need to go back to the parking lot, Leah. Okay, so Shauna and I start looking at, we start looking up caregivers and we start looking up hospice and i i remember that a phone call came from my mom while she was with the oncologist or no the oncologist assistant called me and she said whatever you do they don't want any hospice and it just kind of left Sean and i like after researching and trying to understand and trying to like do what's right to to help her um through the pain that she was in physically um, to get the right care um we were at we were then at ground zero again because we had to cancel we canceled the caregiver we canceled the the hospice and I remember I took her home I, I was driving her home from the oncologist and the oncologist calls and he said, I could hear him on the phone. Well, where are you, Sharon? And she said, well, I just pulled up in front of the house. And she made a joke, the firemen are on the way, I'm gonna go back up. And uh, and he said, no, you need to go straight to the hospital. Uh, you have blood clots in your lungs, which of course happened from the surgeries. Um, and so I drive her back to the hospital. And, um, they, I, I go into the ER, no problem sitting by her side in the ER, by the way. I was, I was by her side for six hours in the ER. And, um, and at no time did the doctor say, even though he could see the scans and see everything, it wasn't blood clots in her lungs. It was, she had cancer in her lungs. The cancer had spread everywhere by this time. But nobody's telling the family. So once again, there's never a conversation of how of, of, of what I, I you know, I write this down and I talk to Shauna about it. Really, the the devastation to this day is that mom didn't get the right to die with dignity. And that that's really it. Mom lived mom was a light, right? She was a sun ray and she didn't get to, she didn't get that right to die because the medical system, her, her closest doctors did not um, give her that and the, uh, give her that opportunity. The conversations were never had with the family, um, but I don't think that they were really ever had with her. And if they were, nothing in depth because then on that same visit, mom is now hospitalized. They want to keep her for the blood clots. I call the family doctor, which Shauna has been in touch with. Um, And he loved mom. And uh, he said, come to my office. I have your mom's records. I have everything. We need to talk. I drive out to his office. We stand outside. And he said, I had no idea um, how, how it had spread because basically they had, during the lockdown, she was not getting her chemo. And so it's, it was, he said, I didn't know. I, I never would have okayed uh, that second surgery. We would have stopped at the femur and given your mom with just the femur, she would have been able to get up again. But with the hip replacement, There's just no way with two legs out. So um, now it's all really, uh, now Sean and I have this new information. And at the same time, um, I am dealing with, I can't stop this moving truck. I can't stop this moving truck. My husband is compromised. And so, the pandemic for me meant that I needed to protect him. Um, And, uh, you know, in my mind, it was if I'm in Chicago with mom, but he gets sick, my children have nobody. And then my young children are alone with me gone and him sick. So I was just, I, I was pulled apart. And so we get mom home from the hospital and uh, at this time, we have now hired professional caregivers um, through uh, a, a network through this family doctor. And um, she had a good night. I remember because we were we watched a show, we were laughing. Um, I wouldn't leave her side. I slept in a mask, like in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I slept by her feet and um, and we were talking and I said, uh, I have to go back and get the stuff off the truck because it was very much like my husband really couldn't be around the movers, right? There's no vaccinations, we don't know. Um, I just have to do that and I'll be right back. I said don't go anywhere i said be you know um and i flew back to minneapolis i was monitoring her on the phone i made the fatal mistake of not having like an ipad like a facetime set up 24 7 um you know through grief there's regret those are that's one regret um and i get a phone call midday from the caregiver. Oh, your mom, your mom is can't stop throwing up. I gave your mom a, a huge bowl of puffins. I said, as in the cereal. I said, with milk. I said, she can't handle that. She can't eat that. I remember calling the family doctor. I'm looking at all the boxes. Okay, the truck is going. Okay, um, I've got to get back. Mom is between the hospital, going back into the hospital, and he said on the phone, if she goes back into the hospital, the likelihood of you seeing her ever again is very small. Now is the time for hospice. Well, nobody explains hospice. Sean and I actually didn't know. Now we know, But, but we weren't ever, we didn't know it. We didn't research it. And we didn't, we certainly didn't understand what that meant and i remember talking um, to the director of this hospice very quickly on the phone and her saying well your mom will have to sign sign this directive and you know we we're, we're going to help manage her pain i remember those words i remember it was manage her pain and therefore I'll get back to her. I'll quickly get back on the plane and get back to her. Um, And if I just back up, um, that night I had with her and all the I love you's, right? And there were some laughs and all, you know, hugging her and um, holding her hand. And these uh, the hospice came in And um, nobody said to me or Shauna that once she was administered uh, the drug, what could happen. So when I flew back, mom looked up, I was shocked mom was slumped over and was in a coma like state. Her head was completely slumped over and um, she managed to look up. She managed to put her hand in the air like she always did to reach out for us. And she managed to say Leah to acknowledge that she knew I'd come home to be with her. Leah. That was the last thing she ever said. Because the medicine put her in a coma like state and there were no, um, you know, there was no, no goodbye. There was, there was none of that. There was none, there was no like Hollywood movie. I'm going to tell you the, I love you's and, and anything like that. There was no goodbye. There was no, think you know i told her everything i just assumed and shauna and i both we just we, we talked to her that whole week it was a week that she was like that and uh shauna by this time was on 24 7 facetime and um i was by her side and uh you know i I knew that my mom would have hated those caregivers because they were really horrible. Um, They didn't care for her in a loving way or anything like that. I remember saying to the hospice director and to the family doctor, I really don't want them anymore. Oh, it's this time that you should just be her daughter, they said, and not administer any medicine. Well, I think if Sean and I had researched hospice and had no more, I bet I could have administered that medicine and gotten them out of there because it was, um, it was so much worse having these strangers in her home while she was put in a hospital bed inside her living room um, because that's where it would fit. And um, it was just, it was, there's no words for it. It was excruciating. It was so ugly ugly is a good word. It was ugly. At one time, my mom, um, the bed was propped up and my mom was actually having a moment. And I knew it. She was having a moment with her biological mom. She was talking to her and she was reaching out for her. And it was a beautiful moment. And the caregiver came in and tried to push her hands down because my mom was reaching out for her. And um, she made fun of her. And I remember, um, I remember telling the caregiver, "Don't you ever?" I said, "My mom." I said, "She she can hear you." I said, "You know, she she's listening." You know, it, I I to this day don't know why we didn't get rid of them, Shauna. To this day, it just. It's just a huge regret, but so it was that kind of ugly. And in the end, um, they kept switching care people too. So you would get someone different at night. Then, so there was no connection. She was just, she was just a body. She was just, you know, a family. I mean, they, you know, I remember asking them, you know, go take a walk, please go outside, go take a walk, go sit in your car. I'm gonna be alone with my mom, you know? we we want that that time oh no i can't leave her yeah you can we're paying you you can so it's always a struggle you know the hospice company was talking to us about funerals while she was in hospice which by the way is illegal to do in minnesota you're not allowed to do that but in illinois they did it and so sean and i had to deal with the business of death while mom was still alive and um and the family doctor came, he held her hand and he just cried and he just said, I love you and I'm so sorry. And you're the most amazing, you know, person. And, um, and it was wonderful having him there. And it was, you know, the first person to, that loved my mom that was by her side, beside, beside myself. And, and anyway, um, he said that it was time, um, let's give her more morphine. Let's, you know, I can tell that she might be in a little bit of pain. So we don't want her in any pain. And so that, so we did that. And um, it was the middle of the night. Um, I, I, Shana was on FaceTime, but they were sleeping. And I, I, I believe I woke you, right, Shauna? Wasn't it the wee hours of the morning right before sunrise for you? Am I right? Yeah. yeah, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, that, it was around 11, so it was around 11 o'clock. I called Shauna, 11 o'clock Chicago time. I called and I held the phone up to mom's ear for you. I told you that it was time there were a couple of other people that I held the phone up to mom's ear so that they could say goodbye. But in the end, I just remember Shauna. Um, and Shauna had gone into her garden. They had made, uh, she and her husband, they had created a beautiful garden, um, that, that summer and she walked out into the garden and, um, I think she might have just turned her back a bit on FaceTime and I remember Shauna saying you know what's happening now because if you can imagine Shauna is on FaceTime and having to ask what's happening now because I have to navigate the tech and anyway so she's walking out and I said oh I said mommy's in the garden with me now.
1: Just hearing, you know, Leah recount again, you know, again for the listeners out there, you know, anyone who lost anyone during COVID, in which your families are separated, you know, and you don't feel necessarily like all medical staff were there to help you, you know, with what is considered the, you know, conceivably the hardest thing you'll ever go through is something that we did have to tackle and I, I can't imagine, though, I also want to kind of say there are wonderful health professionals out there. I think trying to deal with a loss in this way is, is really nothing that you can prepare for. So I think there's there's nothing in life, there's no life experience that will ever prepare you for anything like this. And so you know, August, to imagine, like I, again, just to say, there's no amount of fantasy where I ever would have conceived that I wouldn't be bedside next to next to Sharon, you know, unless it were some horrific accident. But in this kind of situation, which, you know, she was battling cancer, you know, I, it, it was something that, um, we, we can't really turn back time. You know, the pandemic has affected millions. We're now amongst Millions of people who have had to endure kind of loss and then the grief process in a way that's really new. And so, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of us who from that day forward have to forge kind of a new path, a new way, how do you, how do you accept what's happened? What do you, what do, you do about it? Um, August 8th, you know, is a sunny summer day but at the same time you've lost someone that's so central to your core that like you don't even know if you're like standing on earth anymore. And it's also unnatural to then not sort of run toward your family. So at every turn you're in a situation in a pandemic. Well, I still can't get there. I can't get on a plane. There are no flights. And so our family actually grieved separately. So we we had Lovely ceremonies um, on video, just private family ceremonies, just acknowledging what happened within days of this unbelievable loss. And then we, you know, we actually planned an online memorial service um, on her birthday. We were um, lucky to have a wonderful facilitator on that that we we found actually in the in the Chicago area, and we had an online memorial. And I think what's interesting, like just hearing like Leah recount the details and me sort of like be thinking about this, it's all been kind of normalized. This is what happens. You lose loved ones during the pandemic. You, you're you separated during the pandemic. You're the people who are suffering, definitely some of them suffer far more than they ever would have suffered you know, otherwise. And then we do things like we memorialize online and we postpone, you know, reunification with family ones. I finally um, was vaccinated myself. The vaccinations came, you know, late December, early January. And depending on where you were in the world, you were lucky to get vaccinated and the flight started to open up as well. Um, I wasn't uh, vaccinated till actually June of 2021. And it is, the minute I got that vaccine was the minute I booked a ticket. And tickets were slowly becoming available. People really didn't start traveling again. Now people, many, you know, are traveling a lot. But that was still not the norm actually back in spring 2021. People were pretty wary of that unless you were vaccinated. And then, um, you know, I did manage to come to the US. But I think it's also quite unusual that it's normalized Uh, now that maybe you just don't even have in-person memorials necessarily. So, you know, my family didn't accompany me. So we all haven't been together. So if we go back to December 2019 and New Year's, you know, of 2020, no one could imagine that we have not been together since, not even to memorialize Sharon Gale. So that is also part of a story that you know, somehow, some way, you, you kind of have a new reality. You have a new way of kind of living and you're, you are dealing with like kind of figuring out how to make sense of the loss and how to allow yourself like that time to grieve, that time to process, but kind of living separately and grieving separately. And that is not really the norm um, for, for most people. And the pandemic has really forced people to really kind of go at it alone. And so you can use a lot of online support a lot. It's one of the ways I found your podcast, you, you suddenly become you know, very aware of the resources that are out there. And I'm very thankful for those resources that you find actually, because I, I, I don't, I, I think we, we've benefited actually from making use of things that are available knowing that now we're, we're kind of like not alone. But um, I would say that a loss during the pandemic is accompanied by many other secondary losses, which many people suffer anyway when they lose someone central to their lives. In our case, it all happened so quickly. That process we're talking about where we kind of understood this, there was probably an insurmountable amount of cancer, we didn't really understand that till June and we lost her August 8th. That's a very short time period. And as of August 8th, I mean, Sharon Gale's no longer on the planet and really she's, you know, we have a couple of of, of distant relatives there, but our kind of real route to what we consider our hometown suddenly is gone. You lose your childhood, you know, your neighborhood, you know, suddenly there's, you know, her lovely little apartment, and her office, just a few things that, you know, that are connected to this beautiful woman. It's, it becomes, it's just, it's very, um, it's very stark. It's very sudden, and it's very strong. And so in our case, we did lose the connection to her, our childhood home in many ways, probably, you know, some substantial roots in Chicago, even though we do have friends there. But that's a whole lot of loss all at once and um i think for me in particular and lee and i have shared a lot about this if we didn't know a lot about you know hospice and palliative we certainly knew some things but given what we've told you about sharon you know she was never one to really talk a whole lot about hospice she was always going to beat this so we knew theoretically what hospice was but we were not prepared by any medical professional to actually pursue that, you know, given the circumstances, there was kind of a feeling like maybe she's going to beat this. And so I think, you know, we're suddenly it's August 8th, August 9th, and it's a whole new world. And the world of grief and the world of dying um, is a world actually, we don't really know a lot about, especially like based on, you know, our mom, who's going to she's gonna beat death at any cost. So, you know, I, we've, we've lost our grandparents for sure, but we've never been responsible in any way for kind of carrying out the duties, you know, that a loved one needs to carry out, who's closest. And then I think given the pandemic, you know, in 2020, um, I think I can say that people had experienced so much trauma and loss in their own lives I have, you know, read and kind of experienced um, that people's abilities, some people obviously were able to reach out and actually kind of, you know, extend themselves versus other people were overwhelmed by their own circumstances. And I think it's also not a normal grief circumstance where you're surrounded by people who are grieving and it becomes a situation which you you have kind of fewer resources around you and you have to you absolutely need to kind of find your own way, find your own communities. And um I personally learned a whole lot about a word that they call, you know, grief illiteracy in the sense that people don't really know a whole lot about grief. And that includes things, you know, all you know, the way it affects you physically, emotionally, psychologically. And these are things that are lost on Um, possibly your friends, you know, some, some, you know, each family member grieves differently, but I think it has been an eye opener um, with, with regard to how little the average person knows about grief, let alone grief in the times of Corona, I call it. And they really just don't know what to do. And so then I also find, at least in my case, and I do know that Leah agrees with this, that you almost, you kind of turn into your own kind of grief counselor, sort of kind of letting them know, like, this is where I'm at. You know, I would really appreciate you touching in and, you know, saying her name, sharing stories, not being afraid to talk to me and that kind of thing. And kind of understanding it's not about Kubler-Ross and the five stages, though that's kind of, that was about something else. And just, there's a whole, there was a whole lot of sort of misunderstanding about grief. And so I, I, I am surprised, I wouldn't have believed it, that I feel like in many ways, online communities participating in different courses offered by grief counselors like Megan Devine and different groups like Writing Your Grief and things like that and finding you. Actually, I do believe I saw a post from you on Instagram, for example, leading you to podcasts, Nora McInerney. There's so many people who would know. I've never heard of any of this before. Not really. And actually, I think I would say, you know, our family, thankfully, is open and supportive and whatnot. But it is these online communities that have also been indispensable to helping people who have suffered loss in this pandemic, because without it, I can't imagine um, the loss of connection there. So you're really quite isolated in that sense. And you're kind of living in a way you never lived before. So, you know, you go back to January 2nd, 2020, it was the norm for families to visit when they wanted, when people fell ill, you supported your family easily, hopefully you could like, you know gather resources those barriers just didn't exist albeit the medical system is difficult to circum you know navigate under the best of circumstances really so when we describe what happened to her in 2017 that was kind of a preview of what was what happened in 2020 but do we believe that the process would have been different given it, you know, it happened in 2019, a hundred percent certain the process would have been different. Would Sharon be alive today? Probably not. I think mom actually was losing her battle with cancer, but would she have died with dignity? I want to believe that she would have. I want to believe that, you know, we would have been able to help her, you know, through this process. And instead the process was, you know, very painful for all involved. And it's, it's something that, again, it's nightmarish for families. So for those that lost loved ones to COVID, and were, we're also told they, they you know, you had to say goodbye on FaceTime. You know, there are millions of us around the world. We're not alone. So this this is just, I, I really wonder, you know, what are people going to do kind of post-pandemic? And I do know that a lot of people, you know, are suffering um, in a way where perhaps they certainly wouldn't have suffered to the to that degree, like pre-pandemic. So this is like kind of a world health crisis in terms of like, you know, loss and grief and trauma. And we've really just tried to do what we can to um, kind of process. And a lot of that has led to a lot of different activities. And it isn't just Leah and I, it's also like my kids are you know, in their early twenties, you know, our partners, different people, you know, have kind of done different things. And I think it is really important to kind of find your way to acknowledge the grief, to kind of express the grief, let it out. You mentioned that you started a podcast, you know, we stumbled on photography courses, writing courses. We're an artistic little bunch, you know, go out in nature, do what you can, but don't bury it because I think maybe the natural inclination is we're staring into a screen right now on a podcast is to kind of just put it behind you because it's too much to carry with you. But I think, you know, at least I think it's really clear that, you know, grief is a form of love and you you're going to continue to love your person. And so hopefully you can find a way to kind of live with that, like, physical loss, and you kind of learn to have those continuing bonds. And you also kind of learn how you need to be present for the people around you present for yourself, you, you know, this is our new way of life. You know, that th- it's January fourteenth, twenty 2022. And we live like this. Now, we, you know, we, we do a whole lot of connecting online. And we have to find ways to grow and develop despite these like challenges. And for some, maybe life has gone back to normal or as we're speaking now, you know, the wave of Omicron and all over the world and different, different things have affected the way we live. For those of us who have lost during the pandemic, um, it's a process and we're continuing to learn. I think without a doubt, we're looking forward to reuniting this family and having some sort of memorial that would be in person we do hope we can honor mom with a wonderful tree at one of her favorite um, lakefront beach areas in which they do have a memorial garden and like a a forest grove hopefully we won't we won't have to wait until 2023 to have like a little actually in-person family memorial and it is very special that i was able to come in the summer we scattered her ashes in different places that would mean something to her but again we put people on FaceTime to join us. This is the new norm. You know, that this is this is how we're living. And I, I think it does put an extra pressure on people who have gone right, who have suffered a loss during this time. We're we accept it, right? And you kind of work with it and you grow um, and whatnot, but it is something that is really challenging for most people, I think, to kind of deal with where to go next. So I think where to go next for us is that chapter is not written. And this reminds me a lot of mom. I think if it takes us kind of like in a circular way, she was always someone who, you know, as a single mom living in the times that she did, she was a really strong person, really creative. And it's really interesting. uh, It's not lost on me that her family is kind of drawing on a lot of the wisdom that, that she gave us we're sort of navigating that path. We're, we're learning to kind of forge new territory and be true to ourselves and still try to enjoy life. And absolutely, um, as she would call it, find the funny in some of the most absurd situations, enjoy time, you know, enjoy kind of what's in front of you. Don't look behind, don't look too far in front. So I can hear mom a lot sort of just reminding us about all the things that we need to do And um, that's something that's really precious, right? And those bonds that daughters have with their moms and all sorts of people have with their loved ones. um, I am absolutely aware of the gifts that she gave us. So I'm grateful for that. I'm definitely grateful. Leah, what about you? What would you, what kind of advice or tips would you give to other grievers or things that you've learned on this journey? Uh, To have
2: a sister like you. I'm I'm grateful that Shauna was able to um, dive into finding support systems um, because as I was dealing with the physical of Mom, I had to move her things to um, Minneapolis, and I had to clear out everything there um, in Chicago and Evanston. She had an office, and anyway, as I got back, I had PTSD, uh, so I. I wasn't sleeping and um, Shauna encouraged me to get therapy. I did that, that helped for a while, but it was really definitely the resources that Shauna found um, that kind of um, lifted me. I actually needed to be lifted. I needed to see beyond because the pain definitely uh, brings this dark cloud over you. And, so through that through all of these resources that shauna mentioned and shauna's always sharing and i hope i'm sharing now too i found my own as well um realizing you know you know (laughs) i find the funny every day because mom found the funny every day and i just know that you know in the everyday you have you you do find the joy and if, if you're if if you only have that closeness um th- with like my sister being in Norway right we're separated but we talk every day sometimes we FaceTime right sometimes Shauna will organize some kind of fun FaceTime with others <laughs> you know but to to be present and to stay connected as you can I think I think is really key right now um and to, I think, to be kind to yourself. I think give yourself grace. I would leave it at that. Give yourself grace. So yeah.
0: yeah. Well, ladies, um, I just really appreciate you both um, sharing your stories. And um, it's hard to put into words uh, to, uh, to even be able to comprehend um, what you went through, through all of those just the perfect storm of timing and events and, you know, the transition of her, of her treatment and the cancer progressing and things. It's just, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a horror novel, unfortunately, you know, and you guys lived right through it and you have the PTSD from it to, to show. Um, But I do hear you both expressing that you're finding ways to connect with each other and that you're finding the outlets and the artistic ways and the writing the grief with Megan Devine and the things that you that are helping you, which is so, so important. Um, I think the isolation is just, I think that's what we're gonna understand the fallout of this isolation after after this over, um, the impact that's gonna have on our society is just, that's really scary to me. It sounds like perhaps you guys are gonna journey into something like this yourselves to try to offer support to others. Have you done anything like that?
1: I'm laughing because, you know, my husband, my husband said today, when are you gonna start your podcast or a blog? And I'm I'm honestly gonna say, I think any path that I or we pursue around kind of processing, maybe it'll end up Leah, we've talked about it before, maybe a a bit of a story about Sharon that's so interesting, really. But I am really, I think it would, I don't, we're not, I I do wish we did more around family tree, family history, family, family preservation of the few family members that we have. So from my point of view, I think it's probably more limited to sort of memoir style things, just possibly at least capturing things, you know all the good stuff um while it's fresh in your mind um yeah
2: yes happen? so i i probably yeah sean and i have talked about a memoir and um and we both can write so we just need to do it um, of course we'll be doing it um online <laughs> together <laughs> through facetime um, but yeah, that. Uh, although I have to say um, that I, I would love, uh, you know, I can see Mom. To be honest with you, I see the story in like, you know, on television, you know, uh, you know, in a, in a small film, in, in a, definitely a book. Definitely, it, it's just there's so much there, um, and I really just want to capture her positive light her laughter um you know we had to write the memorial um and we all talked about her uh humor and when she laughed you laughed because it was really hard not to and you just I think I think that that could happen I, I think Sean and I just have to do it we'll get there um yeah you know i'm just now for those that are listening um just now finishing up her her paperwork the business of death so this is a long time later that's how long it takes and so i i i think that that's going to be very positive for us to also settle that and and that is definitely it's going to be good to close that chapter um and for those that are that are grieving and that have to do um, online memorials um, like we did um, it was really special Mm -hmm. and those that attended um, have not have been really still to this day they talk about it it was really um wonderful to to share and And I know it's hard and I, and I imagine that, you know, someone's going to be listening to your podcast that might be in that position of having to do this, but don't not do it. Don't not celebrate and remember those that you love.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, if, and when you do do a memoir, come back and (laughs) let me know. Um, This doesn't have to be your first and last time on Daughters Without Moms, because it is such a community of for me, it's just learning, um, and growing and sharing. Um, you know, my tagline is kind of using grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with your grief because you don't get over it. I'm sorry to tell you, um, you don't get over it. Um, but at some point in time, you have, you decide to stop letting your grief carry you and you learn how to carry it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it can take a long time. Like I said, I'm 38 years in with, with the mom. So, um so keep in touch let us know what's going on with you and if you do dive into any online work share it and I'll be happy to share it on the Daughters Without Moms and um we will keep in touch and keep the audience updated I really appreciate you both being here yep yep thank you If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.